Uh, I've loved it. It's a good letter uh, that we get to, to see from Peter, um, and we see that he's writing to people who are being persecuted, right? The first week that we talked about First Peter, very opening week, we talked about how we have a living hope, all of us. Right? If we know Jesus, we have a hope that we can cling to. Because he came to die for our sins and die for us and make us new, we have this hope that we can cling to. Nothing is going to take that away from us. No matter the waves, no matter the wind that comes, there is a hope that we can cling to. And he says, hey, you've got this hope, and so you need to go show other people. And Brad also talked about the first week. Yes, we have this hope, and now we're called to be set apart. We are called to be set apart, to be different than what the world says, and uh, to be holy. So we have this living hope. We're called to be set apart, to show people what this life is supposed to look like. And then we talked about how we are to build our lives on a living foundation or a living cornerstone, and that's Jesus. We build our lives on the foundation of Christ because that's never going to crumble. That's never going to go away, and it's never going to fade. That's what we build our lives on as Christians. And then last week we talked about this. That we are supposed to remain faithful in a sinful world. We're supposed to remain faithful in a sinful world. We, we live in a sinful world, right? They did back then too. They went through a lot. But Peter says, if you want to remain faithful in a sinful world, submit yourselves to Jesus and follow in his footsteps. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says that he suffered for us. And because he suffered for us, uh, he... He, he made us new, right? He, he, uh, he died for us so that we could have life. And then he says, I suffered for you, now follow my example. He says, I've suffered for you, I've given you example with my life, the way that you're supposed to live. Now go and follow in my example. And we're going to be in a passage today, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, where really Peter kind of touches on the idea of marriage. And I'm excited to go there today, I'm excited to talk about this. And, and before we get there, we need to understand the context of marriage in this day. Because back then, it was okay to have multiple spouses. It was okay for the man to kind of dominate the relationship. It was okay for that. And so, in the early church, many people came to know Jesus through seeing the Christian way of marriage. Through seeing the way that God had designed marriage to be. Because if you think about it, think about the world that they were living in, what marriage was in that culture. And then God introduces the idea of marriage and the way that it's supposed to look like. And then they're like, oh my goodness, what is that? You're telling me that that person has one spouse? And they're pursuing them with everything that they got? And they're loving them with everything that they have? I want that. I want to be a part of that. And they see this this culture where marriage was different than what God said. And when God introduces marriage into the picture and Christians start to fall into the, the, the idea of what marriage was, was supposed to see, many people came to know Jesus because of marriage. We see that in the early church. They saw marriage the way it was supposed to be and they said, you know what? I want to be a part of that faith. I want to be a part of what those people are a part of. I want to do what they're doing. Many of you might know the names Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible. Um, it's not really the names that we hear a lot, like Moses and David and Noah and Samson and Abraham. Like We don't always hear Priscilla and Aquila a lot, but they played a vital role uh, in the early church. Many of you know the name Paul. And it was because of Priscilla and Aquila that Paul was able to do some of the things that he was able to do. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers like Paul was. 
they, uh, and they were married. They, they saw their marriage as an opportunity to show people who Jesus was. And, and many scholars in early church history say that Paul stayed with uh, Priscilla and Aquila for 18 months or around there. They were both missionaries. They realized what Paul was doing. And they said, hey, we've got a place for you to stay. They used their, their, their tent business to, to have money and to help fund Paul as he went out to share the gospel of Jesus. And what I love about Priscilla and Aquila is this, that they were willing with everything that they had, with their marriage, to do everything they could to help people come to know Jesus. And they said, hey, we may not be the ones that are going out and doing what Paul does because we know that because of Paul's life and because of his missionary journeys, millions and millions of people have come to know Jesus. And, and, and they may have said, you know, we can't go out and travel as much as Paul, but what we can do is open our home. What we can do is provide shelter. What we can do is provide funding for Paul as he goes out and travels. And isn't that so nice for Paul to know that when I come back, I have a place to be? I think that's huge, right? And so we see marriage being a great picture. And we see Priscilla and Aquila understanding the idea of what marriage is supposed to be. Pursuing Jesus together. Wanting people to come to know who Jesus is through the marriage. I love what Paul has to say about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 21. He says this, that we must submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. We must submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. A lot of times in the Bible we see, you know, submit to your husband's wives. Ephesians says submit to one another. As we submit to Jesus, submit to your spouse. Submit to the people around you. Out of reverence to Christ, as you submit to them, submit to your spouse. I think that's huge. I think what Paul, I think Paul understands what's happening in this culture. I think Peter understands what's happening in this culture. He says, submit to one another because of Christ. And we talked about this last week, right? We submit to Christ. We submit to authority he's done for us, right? Now we're going to go through First Peter chapter 3 in the first seven verses. And we're going to read it all together, and then we're going to come back through and clarify some of what Peter says in the passage. Because there is going to be some moments where we read this, and you're going to be like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, what, you know, what does this mean? And so let's read it together. We'll come through. We'll clarify things. Let's start. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Pay attention to some of the language that happens here. Wives, in the same way. Submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and you do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, we're going to go back through and, and clarify some things, but we need to understand something. We know that the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses, right? 
It wasn't written with subtitles. My NIV translation gives me some subtitles before the passages and kind of gives me an idea, hey, this is what this passage is about. And this passage in chapter 3 goes hand in hand with what we ended with at the end of chapter 2 last week. Paul didn't stop at chapter 2, wait a week, and then write this. It was all together. We just do that so it helps us. And so last week, the, the, the title or the subtitle of the passage we went through in verses uh, 11 through 25 in chapter 2 said this, living godly lives in a pagan society, remaining faithful in a sinful world. And so he lists a lot of things, and he says, hey, submit to Jesus. Submit to authority so that you might win people to Jesus. And then it gets to chapter 3, and it falls in the same category. It says, if you want to live faithfully in a sinful world, then your marriage has to look right. Your marriage has to be in submission to Jesus together. Because if you live your marriage right, and you serve one another and love one another right, then people will come to know who Jesus is. The sinful world that we've talked about will see your marriage and come to know who Jesus is. And in verse 1 and verse 7, we see a phrase that's in both verses. It says, in the same way. It starts out in verse 7, in the, wives in the same way, or verse 1. Verse 7, husbands in the same way. If we're using the, the phrase, in the same way, that means that we have to refer back to something, doesn't it? We're referring back to chapter 2, where Peter tells us, submit to Jesus. In the same way, Paul talked about this in Ephesians, right? Submit to Jesus, and then submit to one another. He says, in the same way, submit to your spouse. Now, specifically, Peter is talking to some women here who believe and have husbands that don't. They say, do everything in your power with your life to show them who Jesus is. Now, this can go both ways, right? You can have wives that don't believe or husbands that don't believe. We are to live our lives in a way where we can show who Jesus is. We're all called to that. He goes on in the next couple of verses after verse 1 and talks to the wives and says, hey, uh, if you're going to show them who Jesus is, you don't need to care about the outward things. You don't need to care about the jewelry or the clothes or what makes you look good or the wealthy things that you have. It's not about that. It's all about the inner self, right? That's what God cares about. He doesn't care about the outside, but it doesn't exclude the men from this either because verse 7 says, in the same way, you have to do the things before this too. It doesn't exclude the men from not looking inward. It says you have to look inward too. I want to back up to verse 6 just to clarify a, a phrase or a word. It says that uh, Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, called him her Lord. Lord in that context and in that situation would be the same thing for us as Mr. or Sir in our day. It was just a sign of respect, just like we respect the people around us, right? That's what that phrase means. Verse 7, let's, let's focus on verse 7 for a moment. Husbands, in the same way, remember, we're referring back to what came before. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. It's not saying here when it says weaker that women can't do what men can do. It's not saying that they can't do that. It's saying, it's saying that physically they may not be able to do what you can do, but they are valued in God's eyes the same way that you are. You all are valued together as a married couple. You all are valued the same in God's sight. And he's also saying in verse 7 here, hey, you're the protector, man, husband. 
You're the protector. Protect her with all that you have. Do everything that you can to serve her. Value her, cherish her with everything that you have. Because you all are in this life. You're in this life together, so protect. And then the last phrase in this verse is very interesting. It says, hey, husbands, do all this so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He's essentially saying this. If you're not right with her, if you don't protect her, then you're not right with me. God calls the man to lead or to be responsible, right? And he says, if you're not treating her well, if you're not protecting her, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, then you're not right with me. So we've got to get that right. You've got to treat your spouse right. You've got to love them well. We see this early on in Scripture. Uh, you'll know this story. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Many of you all might know this. Let's read this together. And just pay attention to what happens here in this passage. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit, eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. God among... Uh, hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But pay attention to what happens in verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, this is not a good idea, y'all. Don't fall into this trap. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Ladies, we know that that shouldn't happen, amen? Right? Right? That's dangerous. Focus on verse 9. Who ate the fruit first? Eve, right? She often gets a lot of flack. But who does God go to first? Does he go to her? No. He says, you must protect. You must protect her. And who knows, you know, hopefully if they could have both stopped together and said, ah, maybe we shouldn't be deceived by this serpent. Who knows what could have happened. But he goes to the man first. And Peter says, hey, you've got to live right. You've got to live right. You've got to treat her well. You've got to lead. You can, you're and if you're not right with her, you're not right with me. He'll go to the man first. 
I have a pastor friend and a, a mentor that when he talks about the word submit in the context of marriage, he says it this way, and I love it. He says that it's my best for your good. That's what submit means. Now, we know that submit can also mean, you know, to humble yourselves before someone else or to be humble, right? And I think that phrase kind of captures that. I'm giving my best for your good. And that's what Peter wants his audience to know. In marriage, give everything that you have to your spouse. Protect, value, show them that you care. Show them that you know Jesus. There's a couple of things that I think Peter wants us to see in this passage. There's many things we could pull out of it, but let's focus on three things that Peter tells us to do in this passage, and even the passage before this. Number one, he says that you, individually, not you and your spouse, not you and somebody else, but you, individually, live in a way to win your spouse to Jesus. Live in a way to where you win your spouse to Jesus. Now, this is especially true for people that may have unbelieving spouses, right? Show them who Jesus is. Love them the way that Jesus would. But that doesn't exclude us who are some that have spouses that do believe. We still have to show them Jesus, right? We may not be winning them to Jesus so that they can convert, but we do everything in our power to show them who Jesus is every single day. Again, wake up, say, I'm giving you my best for your good. To y'all, East Tennessee, right? Could have said us too or, you know. Y'all live in a way where your marriage leads people to Jesus. Here's the thing. We ha- in our culture, we've kind of come up with this phrase or this mantra where in relationships or in marriage, you say this. I bring 50%, you bring 50%, we'll get to 100. I think we need to change the language a little bit. Because I think if we change the language, it will change our perspective. Instead of us saying, hey, I'm going to bring 50, you bring 50, we're going to say this. I'm bringing 100 and you're bringing 100 percent. And I think that's kind of the logic of what the other phrase is. But it changes our perspective. I'm bringing everything that I have, my best, for your good so that you can see Jesus. And when we as couples and as married people say, you know what? I'm bringing you my best for your good. I'm giving you 100%. We're saying we're both coming alongside of each other, giving 100% and leading to Jesus. In our own lives, we give 100% to Jesus, and then we give 100% to our spouse too. And when we do that together, we can do incredible things. And when when we think about this point, I think about Priscilla and Aquila, who without them, who knows how much Paul would have been able to do in that time. I'm sure he could have done a lot, but maybe not as much. But where are the opportunities? What are the things in your marriage where you can say, you know what? We've got some resources. We've got some ability. We've got some funding that we can give to to help people know who Jesus is. I think that's important. I think that's what Peter calls us to. He says, live in a way where your marriage leads people to Jesus. Give everything that you have. Now, I know that there's people in the room today that, aren't married or may not ever want to be married, it's still good for us to understand the context of marriage as Christians, right? So that we can uh, tell, tell the world what marriage looks like, right? And maybe some people in here are dating or they want to be married at some point. The best advice I can give is give your best to submit to Jesus. Because at some point, 
if it's God's will, he's going to bring someone along who's pursuing Jesus like you are. And you can link arms and say, you know what? This is what we want our relationship to be based on, that we serve Jesus so that other people can know who Jesus is. My prayer for my marriage and for all of our marriages is this, that when people see my marriage or our marriage, that they see Jesus. Now, are we going to make mistakes? Yeah. (laughs) We're going to make mistakes. But that's my prayer. And that's what I think we're called to as Christians. In a world where marriage is so diluted and the idea of what it's supposed to be, we are called as Christians to be like Jesus and show people who he is. And then number three, the church. All of us, individually, as a body of believers, we are called to live in submission to Jesus. This goes back to last week. If we live in submission to Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going to humble myself before everybody. I'm going to be a servant to everybody. I believe it can change the world. I really do. So Peter calls us. He says, you know what? You need to give your best. Every day. Wake up every single day and say, you know what? I'm giving 100%. In hopes that my spouse can feel Jesus and know who he is. We have a safe home. And in hopes that people can come to know who Jesus is because of our lives. He says, live in a way to show your spouse who Jesus is. And then y'all two together live in a way where your marriage leads people to Jesus. I hope that's true of all of us, that we can all do that. And then he says to the church, hey, you have to live in submission to me. And as a result of that, you live in submission to one another, to serve them and to humble yourselves. So give your best. The only way that we can do that is to look at the example that Jesus gives us goes back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He suffered for us, came and died for us so that we could have new life. And then he says, I've given you an example of how to live. Now go do it. Let's pray together.